0: Thank you, everybody, for tuning back into Arts for All Kentucky Stories. My name is Sam Kirby. I am a teaching artist with Arts for All Kentucky, but even more so the the host of this podcast and helper uh, for all things tech. Uh, We'd like to uh, thank the Kentucky Arts Council and the Kentucky Department of Education Office for Special Education and Early Learning. Um, They make this and several other things related to Arts for All possible, so thank them for that. I'm um, excited to uh, be in a different location uh, today uh, here in the Louisville area to talk with uh, Greg Acker. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll jump into a conversation just about um, your relationship with Arts for All and how that's evolved and grown over time.
1: All right. Well, uh, thank you, Sam. And thanks to uh, Delaire for asking me to be a part of the series. Uh, I'm uh, a longtime uh, Arts for All, uh, a.k.a. Uh, very special arts back in the day, artists, and uh, have done a number of projects, residencies, and uh, really uh, followed the growth and been a part of the growth, I guess, of the organizations, so almost 30 years. Uh, so yeah, super great to get to talk about uh, what's going on with, uh, well, even during COVID, but uh, partly that was uh, your role in documenting and helping artists to to get their work out to the public, even in uh, lockdown times. But also, you know, a number of projects that I still have going on. I'd um, love to talk about those and, and maybe some of the early projects that got me thinking in a an arts for all way. Yeah, I'd I'd like to
0: kind of take it maybe... Uh, sequentially, like kind of your initial exposure to, at the time, VSA Kentucky. Um, and if prior to that, if you had any, I guess, background or experience in focusing on your art form and making it accessible or what that initial exposure was to then VSA Kentucky that, you know, kind of made you want to get involved in the first place.
1: Right. Well, uh, just to clarify on the name, I, I so prefer uh, the current uh, moniker, uh, Absolutely. arts for all really, really speaks going to me. forward. We'll go with uh, arts for all. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the, the earliest, uh, connection there was the, the Kennedy family's uh, creation of special Olympics and then creation of very special arts. And I think, uh, the, the heads up that everyone had with this name change was, well, that, you know, there's nothing special about this. It's, it's something that everybody really has a birthright to just make the, the right to make art, if you will, the, the right to move or to dance or to sing or create visual art. So that message uh, was certainly there in the, in the infancy of, of um, arts for all. And I came back from uh, two tours in the Peace Corps in West Africa and North Africa and had uh, just started working in school settings, kind of sharing some of the things that I had learned and some of the art forms I'd, um, I'd learned about. Uh, You know, mostly music, drumming, storytelling, things like that. Uh, Cultural studies uh, with arts mixed in and heard about uh, Arts for All Kentucky. And it was suddenly like, wow, that's that's the same message that I was coming back from Africa with, which uh, in a lot of ways was that everyone in the community was was invited to participate, um, you know, through clapping along, singing along dance and in the musical and dance events that I was probably most, most resonating with, uh, that seemed to be implicit. And I, I love proverbs. I love, um, you know, old sayings from, from, uh, from different cultures. And one of them from West Africa says, when a, when a baby first kicks its legs, that's its first dance. And when it, when it cries, that's its first song. So whether you think of babies kicking and screaming as singing and dancing or not, the the implication is, of course, yes, we are born singers, we're born dancers. And so coming with that sort of, uh, I guess, uh, eye-opening change of, of paradigm of what music's role was in society, that it's not, you know, in my opinion, it's not something that's only to be on a stage with a a distant audience uh, uh, sitting and and waiting until the end to clap. It can be much more um, a community building experience. So came back and started working in some school settings and pretty quickly noticed that the special ed classes were often not a part of the residency. uh, And that would be something that I would ask about. But at the same time, I, I got some awareness through two wonderful community artists who did quite a lot through Arts for All and its predecessors, um, Chris Dorflinger and Mary Ann Mayer, who had a group of um, adults with disabilities called ImproVision, uh, adults with and without disabilities. So working together on performances, and they actually uh, made it to the the big um, VSA at that time, conference in Washington to present their work. You know, it was really groundbreaking stuff. And so they brought me uh, into the fold and introduced me to some of the the arts for all activities. And it was suddenly a mirror on that philosophy I, I had seen in West Africa. And suddenly, all right, everybody is welcome here. And the only question is how to remove the barriers. That's the only problem here, because everyone has art making in them. And and so those experiences were. Uh, you know, initially extremely transformative for me. And uh, I started to seek out that work. Um, So about 30 years ago, um, the hotbed regionally for that was actually Southern Indiana. The, uh, The Indiana version of Arts for All was a pretty robust organization that did a lot statewide and uh in southern indiana a woman named joanne brooks uh, really spearheaded things and uh, started getting residencies happening in schools and festivals Uh, so i did a lot more work over there because i actually was a product of new albany high school so came through there and some wonderful memories about uh, residencies there Uh, but then as jenny miller came in uh, to work with arts for all uh, things really took off here in kentucky and, um, so more of my work had, had was happening there and the mm-hmm. Kentucky, uh, arts for all seemed to have a, a real broad understanding of the types of things that could occur under their aegis. Um, so that, uh, was a 20 year span, I believe with Jenny Miller and, uh, we're, we're, extremely grateful for what she did to build the organization and she was an artist herself a dancer and I think uh, that combination of being an artist and being an extremely creative and resourceful administrator was just a super powerful and that's still happening with our current director del air so it's really a great uh, a great organization to be a part of and I I probably would say it's my favorite work because you know the impetus is on inclusion; it is on everyone has something to contribute to the dance, uh, and you know that feels right to me. Do you feel like your
0: and um, your art form? And you could describe more in detail for the audience who might not know about kind of what your experiences and workshops kind of look like. But I'd say that your art form and you know and you know percussion and dance being very
1: very accessible. Like from the beginning. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I have to say, uh, credit goes for that to the teachers that I've had for this music, uh, and their attitude that you you are you know almost beholden to share things that you have learned with other people. So, I don't take credit for creating uh, perhaps anything more in this situation than a space and a philosophy or you know introducing a philosophy that says everyone is welcome um, but that the the nuts and bolts of it are the music and the dance moves. Uh, so I credit Abraham Adzania. I went back to graduate school, by the way, after coming back from Peace Corps. I, I labored for a while uh, re- and then realized pretty quickly you need to know a lot more about culture-based musics uh, in order to teach them effectively. So went back for a graduate degree in ethnomusicology and worked with several teachers, uh, but but uh, Abraham Adzania in the music of God and um, later on many many more teachers from other countries in West Africa back in uh, Louisville so more a case of visiting artists coming through and staying with us and and working with our local drummers Uh, finally in 2013 one of my colleagues that I had worked with for for two or three years was based in Cincinnati Hamidou uh, came down to Louisville for good and so we began uh, what was up until COVID time so an eight-year uh, stint of uh, pretty much daily work either in residency settings or arts and healing settings um, he's a, a dancer by trade but also a great musician and yeah you mentioned that people listening may not know what kind of art i do i guess this is a roundabout way of saying it's culture-based musics um, and this particular focus on west africa seemed to me to be the most uh, accessible encouraging uh, one to present in schools so more of my work has been with that although i do some work with indonesian gamelan and shadow theater um, as a separate type of residency so um, i guess uh culture-based musics and a focus on uh, participation and Presentation. So the students that work with me and often with me and Hamidou uh, in Arts for All settings uh, develop their skills over the course of a week or at least five days. It may be spread out over multiple weeks uh, and then present back to their peers. And one of the more recent uh, Arts for All residencies that I did in Bullitt County, and that would have been two years ago now because most of the in- in-person residencies have, have had to wait, but it was at a school with a teacher who had uh, had attended some other workshop that I did and said, I'd really love to bring you down to share what you do with the kids here. And so we had a great week and it was the time for the show. And so uh, I was I was in the gym setting up and the kids started coming in and uh, her students were in already and in place on, on the stage, I guess, in the middle of the gym floor. And uh, she came in and she had this this moment where she looked to the left and she, she sort of had a shock on her face and she came right over to me and, and said, you know, this is right before the show. She said, Oh, I just had the strangest moment. I I looked to where my kids are always parked to see a show and they weren't there because today they're in the show, you know, Mm -hmm. and she just was kind of her And, and uh, I said, yeah, it's a really beautiful thing, isn't it? You know, uh, and and why that doesn't happen more often is a, certainly a question for for district and, and building politics, but it does happen through Arts for All Kentucky. So, so what, I, I don't know if I answered it, the question that you asked about a year ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that,
0: I mean, that that kind of leads into where I was trying to kind of take this, the idea of like a very participatory thing, and that when you're working with a group, um, whether they're you know adults, you know kids, and whether they have disabilities or not, the fact that it's so participatory across the whole thing can be, I guess, a rather unifying thing. And also the idea of that you know everybody can respond to rhythm for the for the most part. Um, and so, in that area is kind of more where I'm trying to trying to take this and that the the experience itself is something that you know lends students and adults of all stripes to kind of really be able to be part of that experience.
1: I think you're you're uh, spot on about the power of rhythm. and it's it's an interesting um, question some people think they don't have rhythm, but I think the truth is they're simply underexposed to rhythms and to to moving or or otherwise musicking uh in response to them. So I have yet to find a person that didn't have rhythm. I suppose they wouldn't be alive because we all have that that inner heartbeat uh as our as our first rhythm. Uh, and that of our mothers. Uh, so uh, our friends with the River City Drum Corps here speak about the the first beat that you hear is that nine months of heartbeat, you know, that's uh, just ingrained into us to respond. Uh, as a drummer, as a percussion teacher, uh, I do find that there are challenges to getting a group to find a rhythm together. And so a lot of times I'm using what students bring to the table as a starting spot, you know, it's like, okay, what what rhythm can you keep? And even if it's a solid, steady beat, that's so essential in all musics, right? That that's something that all the other beats or or rhythms are responding to and, and conversing with. Um, I think fundamentally we we have done things for centuries in rhythm our, all of our cultivation and, and agriculture was manual labor and and in africa they would pay a xylophone player to sit under the tree and play music while you worked in the fields because hey this was before the days of the boombox you know but every job site i know always has some music on and in fact when i walked in here today you were listening to music as you were setting things up and mm-hmm. we joked about it so so it does seem primal and I kind of come back to that question of what are the barriers that are in the way of everyone enjoying that? Um, for me, early on in this work, uh, it was kind of a, a material question. How can I make, uh, for for people with uh, with certain physical disabilities, how can I make the instrument itself accessible? And I developed uh, a, a rotating uh rain stick that just required a nudge you know and it was it was really player specific i would meet a, a kid at a particular a setting and just say all right what what do you got what can you move what you know how do you how do you express yourself and, and then try to put something in their way that created a sound that fit with the group so drums on various angled stands um, suspended items extended mallets um you know it it was very um inspiring for me and and really exciting to to think about creating something that solved a problem for someone. It's an art
0: form that has a lot of potential adaptations to make it more accessible.
1: True. And then if you start digging into instrument building, you get into a whole great science area that became another aspect of my teaching. Uh, You know, so it was kind of like everywhere I got led, uh, helped me to do this work that is... I mean, music is such a broad thing. It touches so many areas of the brain uh, that it felt like, OK, you know, tentacles reaching out from the musical experience into um, different people's lives in different ways. So certainly the math and science was there. But this other question about uh, maybe the, the inclusive side of things, um, the, the social question was probably the more important one for me. I was going to say something about a residency that I had with some middle schoolers, and and uh, this has more to do with the, uh, the Indonesian art forms of shadow puppetry and music behind it. Uh, but there was a, a school that was not accessible on its second floor, uh, and that's where their auditorium was. The special ed class was on the first floor, and they had students who were wheelchair users who... Could not access a, a big part of the building. Their class schedules had to be arranged so that they could only take classes on the first floor, and and they were not uh, they they were not shy about expressing their feelings about that. Uh, but when I came in to do the residency work, I I actually had a, a, a not a new artist as you are uh, talking about earlier visiting with different artists. It's a great thing that. That arts for all kentucky does is is if you want to come into this sort of work you spend some time with artists of different disciplines it's not necessarily someone that's doing what you're going to be doing but you learn from them you know how they do what they do and why they do what they do and i think that's enough for most artists to start putting that together for themselves it's like what does that look like with my field but anyway i came in and my general operation would be to You know, elicit from them what what concerns you? What do you want to write about? What do you want to create? So they created three shadow puppet shows in the course of I think it was a two week residency. Uh, One of them was called Sparts, and it was a combination of sports and arts where Yes, you got points for scoring, but you also got points for how beautifully you did it. (laughs) Just a reimagining of uh, keeping score uh, in the sports and and athletics world. Uh, I guess that's still in there with uh, some sports like ice skating and things like that. But the second one was wrestlers in the grocery store. And uh, I, I think this may have had a, uh, a reference to uh, middle school eating habits, but the, the wrestlers were taking on the vegetables uh, <laughs> in, in the uh, grocery. And of course, the onion was going to make them cry and the tomato was going to leave a splatter everywhere. You get the picture. But the third one was called uh, Tiny Teachers and Giant Students. And it was all sort of a takeover by the students of the building. It was a very political expression, actually. Although in the end, they did uh, take pity on the the uh, small teachers who were cowering in the stairwell, and they they liberated them. But I think a lot of uh, y- y- you know the messages that our students with disabilities and without about the situation of people with disabilities and accessibility; those messages are are pretty, um, on the surface. And I, I love the fact that people are willing to be advocates and, um, I think arts for all Kentucky is offering people that exact opportunity to express yourself. So, um, it's been empowering, I think, for the kids and also for me as an artist.
0: Yeah. So talking about empowering for the kids. Are there any, um, any standout scenarios that you, you remember that had an impact where you really saw a kid kind of light up in a way that maybe they, they hadn't before like in the process of doing that and and what that felt like for you to kind of see that this art form has allowed them to, you know, use art as a language potentially for the first time.
1: I'm not sure that uh, I can give you too many concrete examples, but a lot of times musical skills, whether innate or learned at home or, you know, practiced sometimes are disregarded if they're not in the mainstream. And one of the things about African music certainly is that you connect to all kinds of popular musics. And so kids whose abilities might not have been noticed otherwise in other settings can be noticed and put in positions of leadership. So that happens a lot in my residencies that it's the kid who's incessantly tapping on his desk, tapping on a book with pencils, tapping on his friend's head, you know, that kind of stuff. And Hey, I was that kid, you know, Uh, fortunately for me, uh, a sensitive adult took me aside and said, Gregory, I, I get that you, uh, you need to keep the rhythm going, but just use a couple of fingers on your leg. You're not going to disturb anyone that way. (laughs) And, uh, it works, you know, I can keep my rhythm and and focus better that way. So um, seeing young people where that might have been viewed as a, a negative classroom behavior, get some reinforcement for it, but also put it into uh, a context where it fits, right? So that then you can say, that's the time and space for that. You know, this other thing is for this. So you, you, you kind of honor where the student is coming from. But you also, you know, you give that a place of respect and say, yeah, you, you can't have it out all the time, you know. So I think that's, that's a typical experience for me in residencies is to see a kid that is, and this is, I think, true for all arts, for all Kentucky artists. If you say this, it'll be the kid that the teacher least expects. Uh, you know, and just a different set of eyes and a different set of expectations, a different set of activities can sometimes really give a kid that's, that's struggling in other ways a place to shine. So I think that's part of our role. Um, seeing particular students overcome things, I can think of several uh, pretty direct cases where people with extreme uh, sensitivity to sound Uh, have been sort of kept away from the workshops, but through coming in independently, they were able to sort of hear themselves, see themselves playing. Uh, They might have been wearing headphones, noise-canceling headphones. Those came off, and they were actually able to integrate into the larger experience after that. But it's just giving things like that a chance instead of someone saying immediately, oh, so-and-so will not be able to tolerate that. You know what's the way around here um, and sometimes you're working against a lot of um, you know ingrained expectations and and history and and maybe behavior it, you know it may not be a secret recipe it's just a different approach and a, a fresh start in a way um, i should back up to say that in, in developing as an artist that works with students with disabilities and their peers the other artists who did that work were were instrumental, obviously, in helping me to understand how and why we do this. But the the biggest piece I would have to say was the forward thinking uh, special ed teachers, who already were on to individualized instruction. You know, twenty five years before it hit the mainstream in, in schools, and and really still hasn't, uh, in many cases. Um, you know, percolated to differentiated instruction for everyone. But, um, those teachers and the collaboration with them and, you know, looking at particular students and how they responded to things, um, they just really brought me into the fold. And I think that that partly happened because they witnessed residencies that were happening for the rest of the school. And they said, hold on a second. You don't have to read music to play this music. Ah, we need that over here, you know? And so I got some of my earliest invitations that way. And I think, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge shout out to the, to the special ed community, the special ed teachers. And we're in the Galt House right now with, uh, with the ECE conference. Uh, So I just feel the whole building is full of these good intentions of, uh, you know, using the arts and, and uh, being inclusive about it. That's great. So you
0: um, kind of, Speaking to the idea that these different, you know, percussive elements and other things have the ability to, you know, allow, allow somebody to kind of open up and explore rhythm and other sort of things you've, you've developed something, right? You've created it was called a jam bucket right or something ah, like that okay let's talk let's talk about the jam bucket
1: we can it's actually the bam bam bucket, bucket? that's oh my right. goodness I need uh, to go but, back on that but, but, but I bet someone has a copyright on the jam bucket uh, <laughs> but uh, it's the bucket of art and music and uh, my wife Brenda and I developed this uh, just kind of eh, six months into COVID times and, and locked down, doing nothing, uh, you know, hanging around the house, making art, making music, but not able to rehearse with groups or anything. And we found ourselves just fidgeting around with household recyclables or things that would be sitting on the kitchen table, make it into something. Is it a little instrument? Is it a little work of art? And this sort of expanded into, well, maybe we could actually create a supply of materials to make both visual and music, art, uh, and a booklet to go along with it. And things snowballed a little bit from there. Uh, So it is, uh, I guess, a, a resource for people who want to make art and music at home, generally recommending ages four and up. Um, but we've had a number of uh, of field testers uh, from uh, adolescents to adults and they have a great time with it. So uh, we got some uh, traction with the idea during the pandemic, but uh, from individuals, I should say, but the bigger connection was uh, one that was facilitated by Arts for All Kentucky, actually, a relationship with Kentucky Children's Hospital and uh, UK Hospital in Lexington. And it turned out that COVID or not, they needed activities that could be dropped off in the rooms uh, with minimal supervision uh, or parental help. Uh, and so, as a result of that, we ended up putting together a series of videos. Boy, I wish I'd had your help for those, <laughs> uh, but I'll have to show you those anyway. A series of videos for each of the uh, activities in in the bucket, um, and that has become an ongoing relationship. So the Kentucky Children's Hospital is continuing to want those to supply them uh, to their patients and their families. And that's wonderful. Um, and Arts for All Kentucky got it all started, actually, with a small grant that helped us to, to start in on the videos and get the booklets together. So um, can't show you those on the radio, but uh, <laughs> on the podcast, but uh, the other group that has uh, found uh, an ongoing use for these is the Kentucky Refugee Ministries, and they have a number of young people with their families, so have been doing Zoom workshops and continuing to use the buckets for their summer programs. So we, we sort of have a steady, but small uh, support uh, for this idea and uh, it's been fun to to see it get out there and to get some responses back we include a self-addressed staff envelope a little response form to see what people are are doing with the buckets and we do have a small website uh, not often updated because I'm the one responsible for doing that <laughs> uh but it is uh, bucketartmusic.com if you put the oven in there it just doesn't look right so bucketartmusic.com and um Yeah, that's been uh, one way to keep myself busy making uh, xylophone sets for the bucket. It includes, I can tell you a few of the things it includes, Uh, a xylophone, but it's loose bars. So young players have to learn how to arrange them uh, in terms of, you know, seriation and gradation and things like that. Uh, it includes a couple of wind instruments, a pan pipe that uh, is made from boba straws, actually, and uh, plays uh, quite quite wonderfully. It's a surprise to me. Even. Uh, straws to make a straw bow, let's see, a rain stick, a set of uh, door chimes. Um, there are enormous rubber bands for rubber band bases and uh, harps of things uh, using those. Uh, might be leaving out a couple. And then on the visual arts side, uh, it ranges from clay to watercolor to um, collage and um, stained glass with uh, tissue paper. So a lot of things that would beautify someone's room, uh, both with sound and with visuals. That's great. And it
0: seems that during, uh, during COVID, everybody kind of came up with some sort of pivot or adaptation or thing that worked. And it sounds like arts for all embrace that kind of from the beginning. And it seems like the the methodology or the idea behind what's in the band bucket kind of derives from the same place as kind of the intention of your, your teaching and, and workshops and what they're designed to do.
1: I like what you said, especially because I, I, you know, it kind of gets back to this innate rhythm, but it's almost an innate musicality or, or, Articality, visual articality of objects, you know, don't just throw that can away. See what kind of sound it makes. Uh, and one of my favorite, you know, cheap, cheap and easy homemade instrument builds is the uh, the can sortium. You just get a bunch of tin cans of different sizes. They have to have been opened. Uh, and tape them together with duct tape, and you've got this awesome drum set. you can play with chopsticks, you know. So uh, <laughs> stuff like that is is uh, abundant in our house. and uh, we actually don't really call everything that goes uh, into the trash trash. Sometimes we have to ask each other, is this beautiful stuff? Because beautiful stuff has a separate or area where we can use it, you know. So uh, I think the idea of playing, just playing. I mean, maybe that's as simple as it gets, um, was essential during COVID just to have fun and to see what you can do out of apparently nothing. Uh, and I think maybe there's a metaphor there for, you know, the kind of residency work that finds something in someone we didn't know about, you know, what can you do with what looks like nothing? Well, a lot. That's great.
0: What, what would you say to
1: I guess, a uh,
0: an artist out there who has maybe just heard of arts for all and, you know, might want to get involved, or maybe a teacher who's thinking some sort of residency, regardless of art form might be beneficial. Um, what would you say to them about the organization having, you know, 30 years of exposure to it that, um, might encourage them to reach out and, and make this a, an opportunity and Um, likely a life-changing opportunity for
1: uh, some of their kids oh boy Uh, you know no pressure yeah no pressure (laughs) all right are you ready out there Uh, this will probably be the most satisfying work that you will do as a visiting artist Uh, and if you want to take it to other levels in terms of uh, ongoing community engagement support for projects. Um, I'd have to call up the whole AFA website for you here just to tell you sorry just to tell you how many things you could do through Arts for All Kentucky but it yeah I'm not usually at a loss for words but this organization does things right uh, they have always consistently supported artists and communities uh, who were interested in working together. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, having, having an artistic, but a very creative and resourceful director uh, makes a huge difference. So uh, the organization's in great hands and you would be too, if you decided you wanted to, to work with young people um, with or without disabilities, but with your art form and adapted for for everyone, Um, yeah, I would say definitely go for it. As far as the teachers, honestly, I think teachers often listen the best to word of mouth from fellow teachers, and that's also the way that I've gotten most of my work, is that someone passes it on to another special ed teacher. So, uh, yeah, if, if this is the first time you're hearing about Arts for All Kentucky, and that's possible, they don't put a whole lot of money into advertising, uh, then definitely talk to other teachers who've had the residencies. Uh, look at the list of, of artists and of the roster and consider, you know, artists that are already in your community that might want to be working with your classes because they can go through um, the, in, the, the mentorship or the internship process and get paid for it, uh, and then become an artist uh, with the roster for Arts for All Kentucky, too. So a lot of uh, possibilities there to bring an inclusive type of arts experience, no matter what discipline, into your school setting or your community setting.
0: Thank you all for tuning into Arts for All Kentucky Stories. Uh, It's a great opportunity for us to showcase our artists and students and parents, families impacted by Arts for All Kentucky, and to talk more about how the arts is an opportunity that's unifying uh, and inclusive for those with disabilities. Again, we'd like to thank the Kentucky Arts Council and the Kentucky Department of Education Office for Special Education and Early Learning for making all of this possible. We invite you to follow us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Spotify or YouTube where we release the podcast to stay up to date with new releases. Again, my name is Sam Kirby. Thanks for the opportunity to host this show.